The woman is by this time very frightened. This is good because the more frightened she is, the greater the thrill for me. I tell her to strip, but I let her leave her underwear on. I tie her to a branch and gag her if she is too noisy while I go about the business at hand. I arrange the rope and the noose and I dress the woman in the white shroud, place the pillowcase over her head, make her know that she is going to die. <laughs> Welcome friends and enemies, welcome to Exploring Evil. Tonight we take a journey into the sick mind of a killer cop who used his status to abduct and murder women and children. A special thanks goes to Kayla Pipkins for writing and research. Please remember to tell all your friends and enemies about Exploring Evil, and if you have a question or comment, Get in touch with me at exploringevil at gmail.com. puts one in a position to have twice as much fun. That's a quote from tonight's subject, Gerard Schaefer. July 21st, 1972, Martin County, Florida. A killer stalks the highways of the Sunshine State. Two petite girls, 17-year-old Pamela Wells and 18-year-old Nancy Trotter, hitchhike under the sweltering Florida sun. You can see the heat coming off of the blacktop and the air is filled with the smell of tar. A dusty police cruiser slowly creeps up alongside the two girls, flashes the lights, and the officer flashes a smile. He offers them a lift to their destination, which happened to be a halfway house in the area. The deputy offered to give the girls a ride to the beach the following day while off duty, and they agree. He picks the girls up, but takes them to a remote wooded area called Hutchison Island, where the trees all but block out the sun. The deputy threatened to sell them into prostitution, or worse, kill them. He aggressively binds their hands and lassos a noose around each of their necks. He flips the long end of the rope over some thick branches. He forces the girls to balance on some gnarled up cypress roots in such a manner as to tighten the noose to strangle them if they tried to get away. He planned to take his time and butcher the girls, but a call came in on his radio. He vowed that he would be back soon. The girls managed to struggle free of their bonds. 
After returning to the site, the officer finds the noose is empty and the girl's gone. They ran to the nearest police station and shared their horror story with the sheriff. They were the lucky ones. Gerard John Schaefer was born into a Catholic home with Gerard Sr. and Doris as parents. He was born in Wisconsin on a cold 25th of March in 1946. Soon after, Gerard and his parents packed up their belongings and moved to Atlanta, Georgia. Gerard was the eldest of three children in a family he later characterized as turbulent and conflictual. Schaefer was raised by what he calls an abusive, womanizing, alcoholic father. He also says he believed his parents loved his sisters more than they loved him. He would later tell a psychiatrist he was the illegitimate child of a forced, hasty, shotgun marriage. In 1960, his family moved to sunny Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where they enjoyed the yachting and country club lifestyle. There were abundant warnings of the sickness that lurked beneath Gerard's friendly exterior. From an early age, Dr. R.C. Eaton recorded in 1973, Schaefer had numerous sexual hang-ups. As a youth, Schaefer was a peeping Tom, slinking around the neighborhood under the cover of darkness to leer at girls through their bedroom windows. His favorite target was a neighbor girl and sometimes tennis partner he was obsessed with named Lee Hainline. He claimed that she was taunting him by undressing in her bedroom with the curtains open. Remember that name. We'll get back to it later in the story. Schaefer began to fantasize about sadomasochism and bondage as early as age 12. Sadism is the tendency to derive pleasure, especially sexual gratification, from inflicting pain, suffering, or humiliation on others. Masochism is the tendency to derive pleasure, especially sexual gratification, from one's own pain or humiliation. I'd tie myself up to a tree, he told Dr. Mordecai Haber, and I'd get excited sexually and do something to hurt myself. His violent self-loathing behavior went back to all of his childhood games, and he told Dr. Haber that his games always ended with him dying. He wanted to be killed. Gerard would later claim that he attended therapy to try to seek relief from the voices he was hearing telling him to kill. If he did attend therapy sessions, obviously it didn't help. It should be noted that a psychiatrist role is to prescribe medication to help with issues, and a psychologist or therapist's role is to provide therapy. I couldn't find any accounts of him visiting a therapist or psychologist. Around the same time, he began to masturbate and fantasize about hurting other people, women in particular. He became obsessed with women's panties and began wearing them to become aroused. Schaefer claimed that his father loved his sister more than him, so he wanted to be a girl, going so far as to becoming a complete cross-dresser. 
He would later claim that cross-dressing was just a way to dodge the Vietnam War draft, which was a successful strategy. He would also later admit to hunting animals in the Everglades and killing them for fun. At just 14 years old, Schaefer had a girlfriend named Cindy. Their relationship of three years was sordid and bizarre. He would make her take part in role-play fantasies in which he tore off her clothes and raped her. In 1963, not surprisingly, she broke up with him. Schaefer graduated from St. Thomas Aquinas High School in 1964 and in 1966 toured the South with a group called Moral Rearmament, who were a political group trying to impose their values on society. By 1967, he earned an associate's degree in business administration. In 1968, he had earned a teacher's license. He then took a job at Plantation High School, where he said he hoped to instill American values and political morals on his students. Amongst them were purity, unselfishness, and love. He was let go for trying to impose his values and what the principal deemed as, quote, totally inappropriate behavior, which may have included sexually harassing students. In the second job he was fired from, his supervisor, Richard Goodhart, recalls telling him, you'd better not try to get a job with authority over people, or I'll do anything I can to prevent it. He would then try to join the Catholic Church as a priest. St. John's Seminary turned him away because, quote, he didn't have enough faith. At that point, he was enraged and decided he would no longer follow the Catholic Church. In 1968, Schaefer married Linda Fogg, but the marriage was short-lived, and she filed for divorce in May of 1970 on the grounds of extreme cruelty, though I was never able to find any details. He took a break to recuperate in Europe and North Africa that summer, coming home with a new goal in life. If he couldn't be a priest or a teacher, he would be a policeman. He applied to several departments and was rejected by the Broward County Sheriff's Office after failing a psychological test, but the small Wilton Manors Police Department hired him anyway. In 1971, he married Teresa Dean, a secretary he met while working as a security guard before being hired at Wilton Manors Police Department. <laughs> So next, I'm just going to go over a list of his victims or suspected victims. October 2nd, 1966, 20-year-old Nancy Leitner and 20-year-old Pamela Nader. September 8th, 1969, Schaefer's old neighbor girl and the object of his obsession goes missing. The now-married Lee Hainline disappears after telling her husband that Schaefer offered her a job with the CIA for $20,000 a year. Her husband laughed and thought it was ridiculous. On September 8th, her husband Charles came home to an empty house with a note from Lee saying she had gone to Miami to meet with Schaefer to talk about the job. 
Lee's brother called Schaefer only to get a strange story that she had asked for a ride to the airport because she was flying to Cincinnati. Schaefer said Lee wasn't sure of the departure time, so she would call him back, but never did. Police found her car in a Fort Lauderdale parking lot. December 18, 1969, 22-year-old cocktail waitress Carmen Hollick told her sister-in-law that she had a meeting scheduled with a local teacher who had done undercover work for the government. He claimed he had an opportunity for Carmen to work for the government with a high salary and international travel. Carmen told her sister she was going to wear black high heels and a cocktail dress to the meeting, but her sister went to check on her on Christmas Day since she had not heard from her. Her car was found in a parking lot, but her body wasn't recovered until 1978 in Boca Raton, Florida, in a subdivision under construction. December 29, 1969, 9-year-old Peggy Ron and 8-year-old Wendy Stevenson disappeared from Pompano Beach, Florida. Peggy was brought by a family friend, and Wendy was brought by her uncle. The two girls were just acquaintances who went to Palmview Elementary together, but played together and both left the beach to get ice cream at about 1 p.m., but never returned. A store clerk identified the girls later by their pictures and said he saw a man fitting Schaefer's description and described as strange, buying them ice cream. Police initially thought they may have drowned, but no bodies were ever found. January 1971, Barbara Ann Wilcox and Colette Goodenow of Cedar Rapids, Iowa, are abducted, raped, and murdered while hitchhiking in Mississippi on their way to Florida. January 5, 1972, Belinda Hutchins' husband and two-year-old daughter watched her get into a blue Datsun with a strange man and disappear from their lives forever. Belinda was a 22-year-old cocktail waitress who had been convicted of prostitution in November 1970. Her husband was a drug addict and told police Belinda had her own lifestyle. She is known to have dated Gerard Schaefer. February 29, 1972. Deborah Sue Lowe was last seen walking to Rickards Middle School. She was only 13. It was about a mile-long walk to the school in Pompano Beach. She vanished and has not been seen or heard from since. Her books were found in a trash can a block from her house. She was at first considered a runaway trying to return to Palestine, Virginia, which is where the family originally moved from. Schaefer worked with Deborah's father and had been to their home a number of times, and the family believes he is responsible for her disappearance. She is still listed as a missing person since her remains have never been recovered. July 21, 1972 Two girls are abducted by Deputy Schaefer and taken to a remote forest where he planned to bind, torture, and kill them. A call on his radio cut the incident short, and Schaefer had to answer the call. By the time he got back, the girls had escaped their fate. They told the sheriff what happened, and Schaefer was arrested and charged with assault and false imprisonment. He tried to say he was teaching the girls a lesson, but the sheriff didn't believe him. Even then, his rampage would continue while he was out on bond. 
September 27, 1972. While out on bail, Schaefer abducted, tortured, and murdered 17-year-old Susan Place and 16-year-old Georgia Jessup. He buried them in a remote wooded area of Hutchison Island. They were picked up from Susan's house in a blue Datsun to which Susan's mother had jotted down the license plate. The girls said they were going with an older man named Jerry Shepard. The girls' remains were recovered after being discovered by three men collecting aluminum cans and were identified by dental records. Susan had been shot in the jaw. Detectives said the evidence indicated that the girls had been tied to a tree and butchered. County Prosecutor Robert Stone said in an interview that Schaefer made the girls drink alcohol and liked to see them urinate on themselves. Stone added that Schaefer practiced necrophilia until the bodies were too decayed and then resorted to masturbating on their bones. October 23, 1972, 14-year-old Mary Briscolina and Elsie Farmer are raped and murdered in Fort Lauderdale. Gerard Schaefer was sentenced to one year in jail with the possibility of release after just six months and three years of probation for the abduction of the two girls who got away. He bonded out and continued his rampage until he was connected to the girls he murdered at Hutchison Island. The case against Schaefer was built on the similarity between the murdered girls and the ones Schaefer intended to kill. Schaefer was in prison when authorities executed a search warrant on the house Schaefer shared with his mother and wife. Inside was a mountain of evidence linking Schaefer to the disappearance and or murder of 12 or more women and young girls. Here is a list of the items hidden but confiscated into evidence in the search of Schaefer's home. 11 guns, 13 knives, Jewelry which belonged to missing woman Lee Hainline and more jewelry linked to the disappearance of 14-year-old Mary Briscolina. Clothing from some of the missing women. Diaries of some of the missing women. IDs of Colette Goodenough and Barbara Wilcox. Newspaper clippings about Carmen Hollick and Lee Hainline, two of the missing girls he's connected to. There was even a gold-filled tooth that Hollick's dentist identified as belonging to her. To top it off, investigators found stories and drawings which read as a play-by-play -play of the atrocities he'd committed. In total, Schaefer was linked through evidence to have murdered 34 or more women. Schaefer, ever the sociopath, had explanations for all of it, such as having found the items, being given them as gifts, or having bought them elsewhere. He claimed that the teeth had been planted by an ex-roommate who, according to Schaefer, privately confessed to the murder, but the roommate in question was interviewed and cleared by police. <laughs> 
Despite the overwhelming evidence against him, Schaefer was only tried for the murders of Place and Jessup. The list of suspected victims would grow over time, but Gerard Schaefer faced charges in only two murders. He was indicted on May 18, 1973 for the slayings of Jessup and Place. Held without bond pending trial, he was convicted on two counts of first-degree murder. In October 1973, drawing concurrent terms of life imprisonment. Schaefer filed numerous appeals, some 20 in all. They were uniformly rejected by various state and federal courts. At one point, he claimed that he had been framed. In prison, his wife Teresa visited him to serve him divorce papers. Schaefer began a relationship with true crime writer Sandra London, who he dated in high school. They were briefly engaged in 1991, but she broke it off to pursue a relationship with the Gainesville Ripper. She got Schaefer's stories published as killer fiction, which failed commercially but maintains a cult following. I took a look at some of the excerpts and drawings from the book, and I wish I hadn't. It's disgusting in every way imaginable. Ironically, as Schaefer wrote about the killings in his book, he publicly proclaimed his innocence. In an edition of Killer Fiction, London published letters she'd received from Schaefer in which he claimed to have killed 34 women, which he claims to have impressed Ted Bundy, who he was in prison with. He told me that he had followed my case in the detective magazines and that he had killed two girls in Washington as a copycat crime, so to speak. In an interview, Schaefer says he told the county prosecutor that his list was over 80. Years later, Schaefer's letters came back to haunt him when he was described in several true crime books as a prolific serial killer. His response was a series of lawsuits filed against various authors for libel. They were uniformly dismissed by the courts. Judge William Steckler officially branded Schaefer a serial killer, finding him undeniably linked to numerous murders beyond the two for which he stood convicted. Schaefer later began filing frivolous lawsuits, trying to sue one crime writer, Patrick Kendrick, for describing him as an overweight, doughy, middle-aged man who preyed on victims who were psychologically and physiologically weaker than him and separately trying to sue authors Colin Wilson and Michael Newton and former FBI agent Robert Ressler for describing him as a serial killer. All of Schaefer's lawsuits were thrown out of court except Kendrick's. He also wrote threatening letters to Kendrick, suggesting that he had willing minions that would do his bidding and he, quote, would hate to see something happen to Kendrick's family. Kendrick went on to write fiction novels, often describing brutal murders, which he relates to his experience with Schaefer. Schaefer allegedly became friends with serial killers Otis Toole and Ted Bundy, and there were rumors swirling that Schaefer was trying to work a confession out of Toole. Toole had confessed and recanted a confession in the famous Adam Walsh murder. It was also alleged that Schaefer was informing on inmates in other prisons by corresponding with them through letters in which he would pose as a woman. 
He would extract information on crimes and pass the letters to the authorities for favors. It was also alleged that he used his status as a death row law clerk to feed the DA secrets about prisoners for favors. December 3, 1995. It's a cool day in Florida. A detective pours over files attempting to put a case together to keep Schaefer in prison for the rest of his life. Meanwhile, conditions in Florida's prison system are among the worst in the country. Mint green walls hold a vice-like grip on one of the sickest minds in American history. He smiles and jokes as he reminisces with a few other inmates over the good old days when the papers called him the sex beast. Suddenly the room clears out and a man steps into his cell with a crazed look in his eyes and a knife in his hand. The blade flashed in the dim light as the man pounces on Schaefer and slashes his throat, stabs him in the left eye, and then plunges the knife into his right eye and leaves it there. The guards rush in and subdue the assailant, but Schaefer meets his end quickly, unlike his victims. After the attack, the killer is identified as Vincent Rivera, who had 50 years added on to his 20-year sentence for double murder. Some accounts say that Schaefer had prison guard boot prints all over him, but that has never been proven. The tree that Schaefer used to torture at least two of his victims he named the Devil's Tree, and ghost hunting groups visit it for paranormal investigations. Now, the only thing that remains is the pain that Schaefer left with the motherless child, the parents of missing daughters, the long-lost friends, and the heartbroken husbands. Assault and false imprisonment is what Gerard Schaefer was charged with when he actually abducted two girls. Remember Susan Place? Remember Mary Briscolina? Remember Elsie Farmer? Those were all girls who were murdered while he was out on bond. He should have been charged with kidnapping, but instead was charged with false imprisonment, which allowed him to make bond. False imprisonment is detaining someone. So if he would have found them somewhere already and detained them, then that would be false imprisonment. Kidnapping is abducting and you face federal charges. So if he would have been charged with kidnapping, he wouldn't have been out on bond and those girls wouldn't have lost their lives. It's hard for me to understand why the sheriff and the sheriff's department only charged him with false imprisonment and there's no backlash on them as far as uh, blame for these other three girls that lost their lives. They let a sick man back out onto the streets and he killed three more people, three, three girls. And they had the girls, the girls told them the story. It's not as if they found evidence or they found things that pointed in the direction of false imprisonment. The girls told them that they were abducted, taken to a forest, tied up, they had nooses put around their neck, and they were told that they were going to be butchered.
I would be furious, and I think you would be too. That's it for tonight. Please remember to tell all your friends and enemies about exploring evil, and if you have a question or comment, get in touch with me at exploringevil at gmail.com.